This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. I am Mira Sivasodi. World AIDS Day was last week. It was the 1st of December and it is used usually to unite people in the fight against HIV. And every December 1st, and this has been going on since 1988, we are sort of reminded that the epidemic is not over. With an estimated about 37 million people living with HIV globally, today we're going to be examining whether we are beating a dead horse or is there still a lot to do in terms of HIV AIDS awareness welcome to the show I have Dr. George Lee consultant urologist good welcome afternoon to yes how are you today <laughs> I'm completely drenched yes. because it's absolutely wet out there isn't it atrociously torrential rain but it's that's not going to dampen down our spirit no it's not no, coming, we're well, coming from Clanton you should be used to it <laughs> Yes, yeah. Don't you think? Being washed away in yes. belongings. And it's just part of the bungee season, right? I know. And you know, something I didn't realize, George, that during the um, flood season, it is a festival. It is. It is considered indeed. a festival. And that's something that a mindset that they want to change amongst the people in the East Coast because it is not a festival it's anymore. Well, there are two reasons why it's festival because people stock up on as much food as possible at home. And then you don't get electricity, so you have candle lights everywhere. That's awfully romantic. And on top of that, you actually get, um, you know, the people from the villages actually dressed up in their best costumes and best clothes and then parading the streets because it's holiday. Mm. So it actually, you have to be there. You know, it's a little bit like, like a loikatong in, um, in Thailand, the right. water festival. So okay. it's, it's fantastic. But no longer. I think they want to change that mindset. <laughs> well, you know, after from, what happened last year. Yeah, right? absolutely. Well, last year was, uh, you know, apparently... Actually, that's early worse. this year. Uh, it was, was January. It really? Yeah, it no, was January. no, no, it was last year. Yeah. Yeah, because my mother was stranded and all of us were abroad. <laughs> it was last year. Okay, so World AIDS Day, we've brought in um, to you know, shed more light on you know, World AIDS Day. Didn't think George would be able to do it on his I own. Know. So we have Dr. Raja Iskandar Raja Azwa, who is Associate Professor in Infectious Diseases um, with a special interest in sexual health and HIV. He's from the Department of Medicine, Faculty of Medicine, University of Malaya. Welcome, Dr. Iskandar. How are you today? Very good, thank you. Thank you very much for having me today. You are most welcome. I mean, do you want to just go through with us some um, data or statistics that just come out? I mean, I know we're a little late. It's already what the 11th well today? we're literally because they're so busy no. because they, you know in the department they're always so busy they double booked us or that sometimes is not true. it was bad planning on my side <laughs> that's and, okay and, that's okay and dr iskandar knows that <laughs> <laughs> so you want to know the latest statistics yes. so where does malaysia stand okay. as far as you know hiv aids infection and you know so malaysia's made significant progress over the years certainly in prevention areas and in care and treatment areas Um, So mainly, so if we go back to the beginning of the epidemic, um, HIV in Malaysia is traditionally driven by injecting drug use. Um, But that is all changing. And certainly since the past couple of four or five years, the epidemiology is now moving towards that of a sexually transmitted epidemic. And so the way we think um, in terms of responses to the changing HIV epidemic have to change as well. So actually, I didn't know that. So can I clarify that? You were saying that, Tradition, initially, the most prevalent transmission in Malaysia were needle-related yes, kind of yes. transmission. And now it's not. Yeah, now it's not. And now which, it's which I sexually, think yeah. is a very good thing, which means we've done quite well yes. as far as um, reducing the number of um, infections through um, needle exchange programs. Yeah. So, I mean, Malaysia took its time in trying to convince the government to respond to the um, injecting drug use problem, but it did, and currently it's being used as a model across um, the countries within uh, around the region. Um, so largely through, as you said, um, opioid substitution therapy, so using methadone 
um, in replacement of heroin and also um, scaling up of needle and syringe sites. Okay. So um, do you think you have a bigger problem on your plate now that it is now sexual transmission that you have to worry about? Um, no, I think I think it's it's just a different uh, different aspect of a of a similar problem, um, but the government needs to start just thinking about a, a, a different kind of mindset or needs to adopt a completely different mindset. Um, sex is generally something that, especially within our culture, is very difficult to talk yes. about, let alone the government leading and the Ministry of Health leading in terms of responses. Well, drug epidemic. abuse was pretty difficult to True. talk about, and then you managed to somehow break on that taboo and actually speci- I mean one of the things that I, I think Malaysia has done inc- incredibly well and like you said has been used as an example in the region is really not criminalised people who were caught with you know um, using needles and actually got infected with needles and that sort of things and then in, in a way I, I, I somehow perceived um, you know needles induced transmission was a lot more difficult to deal with than sexual infected diseases. Do, do you have any comment on that? Well, okay, but when you talk about sexual transmission, so within the country, it's, um, it's still mainly driven. So let's say if we, give, if we give it a statistics to that. So about um, 28% is due to... These are the number of new infections, let's say, reported by, at the end of 2014... Uh, at the end of 2014. So about 28% due to injecting drug use, 72% due to sexual transmission. 50% of sexual transmission is, is attributable, a bit, sorry, 50% of that is attributable to heterosexual transmission. Mm-hmm. But the remainder is, is transmission between men who have sex with men. So just like injecting drug use, you know, that's an area which is not widely talked about. And it's very much a hidden population and a population that's not really accessing care at the moment. So very much a stigmatized population, just like injecting drug users. I think they have challenges both in their own right, but a completely different, um, they have different needs. To Indeed. Drug users. How are we approaching this now? Because you need a strange strategy, don't yeah, you? Yeah, completely. Completely new strategy. So, um, I th- so basically, from th- what what happens is that the government then adopts a national um, strategic strategy, um, and we recently met, and they compro- they comprise essentially of community-based organisations which represent um, the at-risk populations, um, government officials, and non-governmental organisations, and basically addressing um, um, on, on, on challenges and how to address uh, the, the current changing epidemic. So sexual task force has been, um, has been created. That um, sounds awful. What, is, what's what that? is a sexual task force? That sounds awfully complicated. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's a group of people who have an interest in trying to look at the, 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 the changes within the epidemic and trying to address that. So essentially, I think some of the key um, elements to that is that we need to test more, okay? I mean, HIV testing is certainly a key to, to that because a lot of people remain undiagnosed. And that's, that's the unfortunate thing in Malaysia um, in the sense that a lot of people are still presenting very, very late with very impaired immune systems. Um, whereas in countries like the UK, the US, you don't see that. You don't mm. see that anymore because you have access to good HIV testing. People are not coming forward to get tested until they present with an AIDS-defining illness. Can, can I... Um I mean, one statistics that you pointed out, which kind of like um, was astonishing to me, was that you were highlighting 
50% of the transmission were um, uh, homosexual uh, uh, transmission and the other 50% were heterosexual. heterosexual. Was that, was that, um, did I get the impression that it was increasing on the heterosexual group and then, um, or, or it's always been like that? No, no, no. I, actually, maybe I misquoted that. It's always been predominantly heterosexual within the sexual transmission. Um, but the number of cases, new cases, due to heterosexual transmission is actually decreasing relative to the proportion of uh, transmission of men between who have sex with other men. Mm-hmm. So as, a, as that proportion continues to increase, uh, right. as the heterosexual transmission proportion contributing to the new cases is actually reducing. Right, okay. okay. But it's still 50-50. No, no, no. It's still still within... Uh, it's still... Um, so of the 78%, 50% are due to heterosexual transmission okay. and 28% due to... Um, 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 transmission between injecting men. drug use. No, no, sexual transmission between men who have sex with men. Okay. Early on, you highlighted that um, you know we are in a nation where we have a lot of barriers for testing, and then this um, the statistics clearly is an underdiagnosing yes. uh, of the general uh, the prevalence in our country. What sort of figures are we talking about from the data that you have got? So, what's been reported to the Ministry of Health has been about one hundred four thousand um, to date. Um, in reality, doctors are very bad at um, notifying infectious diseases, um, including HIV. So I personally think... It's mandatory, really, isn't it, for doctors to report that? It's just like TB, isn't it? It, it right? is mandatory, but still doctors are very, you know, you know, they may be coupled with having other competing priorities at the time. And certainly if patients present to private health settings... Um, it's easier not to slip um, to the net to report. Yes. All right, and so I think the reality of it is that it's probably three times that amount. But there must be a reason why people don't want their name to be reported, yeah. and what are the consequences if you are on a register? So, so the reporting could be improved upon. Um, the, the Ministry of Health requires you to notify with a name, um, full name, and ICE and your IC. Um, and then subsequently, that's sent to the um, um, the public health department, and some and an officer within the public health department has the responsibility to contact that patient. In essence, it is good, or the the the, the aim is good because you want to try and identify partners of infected patients um, and get them tested um, so as to know their status, and they can reduce their transmission to others. Um, but in an ideal world, it probably should be done a bit better without having um, your IC and your name, or maybe just a contact number. But um, is that how it's done in the UK, for example? Yes, it is. It is. It, you, you don't have to give um, your your details. Well, in such. fact, in the UK, you don't have an IC anyway, right? That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. So you just kind of give your number and your contact details, like telephone number, for example. Yeah. And 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 they're just interested mainly in the statistics, and and also the partners getting identified. But people feel understandably concerned about their HIV being notified. But the public health department in their defense, they're not they're not aggressive. They really they come from the approach of um, it is better to know your partner status and get them tested and get you know, so as I think the knowledge, trying to get to know as many people's status as possible is, is good. I mean, take, for example, an, a very controversial area, premarital testing of HIV in Muslim couples mm. in this country. Now, you can talk about whether that was a good idea when it was launched. I mean, Seriously? I wasn't here, <laughs> right. but I mean, 
I could throw the question back to you and ask you what you think it, you know, what you thought of Well, we'll ask Clang Valley, what do you think about it? <laughs> so do, do call in. I'll be honest, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. To, you know, it's not just for Muslims, it shouldn't I think be it's it's for, everyone. It's for everyone. Yeah. But obviously, there will be consequences when you do that because, you know, what um, you need to understand I mean, every single blood test, you know, has a consequence. Because in Malaysia, people go to um, shop lots and then have their blood test done and then without really thinking about what impact it will have on, on all sorts of, you know, um, diseases, cancer markers and things like that. But so, are you worried about accuracy or are you no, concerned no, no, about no, repercussions? Well, repercussion, it's just like, um, you know, in the UK, before a doctor is um, asking a patient to actually have a HIV test, for example, you really need to have counselling and also cons- uh, informed consent. And because we, the support, the subsequent supports needs to be there if the diagnosis turn out to be positive. And I really think that side of things perhaps needs to be a little bit improved. What do you think, Iskander? Well, I think um, the most important thing at the moment in terms of um, in the general cascade of, of, of accessing care, getting to know you positive, accessing care, getting on treatment, is the testing bit. We've spent many, many, many years concentrating on the pre-test counselling and the post-test counselling. But HIV is a very, very manageable disease now. Mm. If you get tested early and if you get to know early, your life expectancy is the same as that of a HIV uninfected individual. Why are we still treating this disease like it is um, a death sentence? It's only a death sentence if patients don't come and get tested earlier. Yeah, I, I like the way you said that because Mira asked the question why in Malaysia we have you know only one third of the population actually being identified and then she said that it perhaps it's because the um, uh, the fear of the how the authority can come on you yeah. and in fact they think that might be one fear. The other one is how it's perceived as a death sentence. Obviously, it is a very different disease compared to 1980s and now. So, I exactly. mean, one thing that we should, perhaps should ask the Klang Valley, do you think HIV is a chronic disease or do you still think it is a death sentence? I think that will be an interesting subject to discuss. Yeah. So give us a call. The phone lines are open. It's 0377 You can tweet BFM Radio or text 0162019000. Anything you want to know, really, about HIV, AIDS, um, I think... What about companies? Where do they stand in all of this, Dr. Iskandar? I mean, if if a person is HIV positive, are you obliged to reveal this information to um, your employer, for an example? Do you are you obliged to inform your insurance company, for an example? Um, we'll come back and find out up next. Once again, that phone number to give us a call: zero three seven seven one zero nine thousand. Good afternoon, welcome to the show. It's our health and living segment, and of course, a Friday. Um, George only has got one more show left next no, week before can you know. You believe it? Two thousand holiday all the way after that, um, and uh, well, it's, it's been it's, an exciting year. It has been. Um, so, Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist, in the studio with. With me and Dr. Raja Iskandar Raja Azwa, um, Associate Professor in Infectious Diseases. He has a special interest in sexual health and HIV uh, from the Department of Medicine, um, University Malaya. And um, we're welcoming all your phone calls if you want to give us a call and ask him anything about HIV AIDS transmission. Um, earlier on, we spoke about uh, a whole lot of issues as to whether or not you think HIV is um, a death sentence.
repentance or not. Um, a lot has changed over the last, I think, three decades it has been since yes, the first um, HIV um, case was detected here in Malaysia. Um, and uh, what I wanted to ask you is, where do you think all of this going, is going? We still have a whole lot of misconceptions to deal with in this country. You said earlier very strongly that you can lead an, an, a normal life, even though you are HIV positive. We went out and asked people some questions in relation in relation to HIV AIDS. One of the one of it was um, whether or not HIV would transmit via kissing. Can HIV spread through kissing? Through kissing, uh, no. I don't think so. Yes, I think HIV can be spread through kissing. Um, no. No, it can't. Yes. I, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Kissing, I don't think so. Eh? No. 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 Yeah, you can. I think so. Yes. No. Of course not. Uh, probably no. No, it cannot. But it's true uh, sexual transmitted disease. It's a true blood. It can go through blood. It cannot go through kissing. You did hear quite a number of yeses <laughs> along the way, didn't you? You still have a long way to go as far as education yeah, is concerned. Yeah, you see, I'm still very surprised by that. I think the awareness campaigns have really been scaled up by the non-governmental organisations. And it's been around for such a long time that you kind of think that the general knowledge, the general public should really have been or should really be aware of this 30 years on after the epidemic. It's surprising to hear it. But I mean, in the setting that I work in University of Malaya, that's often one of the first questions we get asked when patients get diagnosed. Surprisingly, you know, does H- is HIV transmitted through kissing? And I mean, the answer is categorically no. <laughs> right, okay. It is not transmitted through kissing. There are only three ways of catching HIV. It's through sex with a person who has HIV without a condom, uh, through blood or sharing needles from somebody who has HIV, and from mother to child, from a mother who's HIV positive. What other questions do you get asked? While we're on the mother to child, we ask them this question. If a child is born from a HIV positive mother, will the child be HIV positive also? Most probably, yes. There's a 50-50% chance, most probably. I'm not sure about that. Yes. I'm not too sure. I think so? Yeah. Yes, I think so. Sometimes not so. Huh? Depends. As I know, it's dependable. It's not every case. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, it depends. Chances are he will or she will. Yeah. There's a chance, so it's like chance. 99% of the cases, yes. Yes. It depends if the HIV under the woman is so severe, the baby can contact. But if the woman is taking precaution, maybe during time for the pregnancy, the baby might not contact. This last lady has a fax all right. <laughs> if you right. notice consistently, um, probably, you know. She sounds Nigerian. Yes, right? and awareness. It says a lot about awareness right. in the country okay. that she comes from. <laughs> and, you know, the... the uh, the chances of HIV transmitting from mother to child is actually 0.5%. That is provided mummy is on um, antiretrovirals, am I correct? So for intervention, so mother's on treatment, whether she needs it for her own health, if mother is offered an elective cesarean section, if baby goes on to what we call post-exposure antiretroviral treatment for six weeks after baby is born, um, and... In this country, we don't uh, advise mothers to breastfeed because we have access to good infant formula, Um, unlike in uh, areas like Africa where breastfeeding is, as long as they exclusively breastfeed, it's thought to be safe, but only because access to infant formula is very much restricted. But in those circumstances, you're absolutely right, um, the risk of mother-to-child transmission is less than 2%. So why shouldn't HIV-positive mothers 
be allowed to have babies. I mean, this is something that we we wouldn't say we would encourage. We, we actually encourage it, yes, because you're living a normal lifespan if you're on treatment, and the natural need is for a woman to want to extend her family. So there's no reason why, with interventions in place, an HIV-infected um, woman um, be allowed to have children. And we've moved, we've moved significant, um, significantly within that area. Well, I have to ask this. Right? So yeah. Can an HIV father actually father a child without HIV? Um, so what's, so the, what's, HIV, the father is HIV. Yes. So can, um, can they still be a, a child being born without HIV? Of course, yes. Yeah, so how, I mean, because we can, um, t- uh, using kind of artificial reproductive technology, would you like to elaborate on that? So hold on. So are we assuming that the... The, the, the mother is uh, negative. negative, that's right. Okay, so it's all about viral load undetectability right now. And so what that simply means is the most powerful HIV prevention tool around is antiretroviral treatment. Mm-hmm. If you take your treatment and if you take it consistently, um, your virus will be at very, very low levels. I mean, ideally, it should be undetectable in the plasma. Mm-hmm. An undetectable viral load in the plasma more or less equates to very insignificant risk of transmission. And if I had to put a figure to that based on randomized control trial data, it reduces your risk by 96%. Mm. So more powerful than any condom on the surface of this earth. Right. So being on treatment prevents other people f- around from getting infected. Currently, what we're allowing is for serodiscordant couples, so where one partner is positive and one partner is negative, we don't actually have to resort to um, uh, IVF, or, IVF or provided that both um, can conceive and there are no issues regarding fertility, um, we, we, we ensure that the positive partner is on treatment and taking treatment and his um, viral load as measured on blood testing is undetectable. For the woman, the woman can be protected either by reducing conception to time, uh, timed unprotected intercourse, mm-hmm. so to certain times of her period when she's uh, of her cycle when she's most likely to ovulate, and she can be protected with pre-exposure prophylaxis. So she takes medication from the point of time where they're attempting to conceive till to the point of time she conceives. Oh right! And we've had no risks of transmission. So. You know, we do not have to even re- to resort to more um, of Com- the fancy IVF fancy stuff. Fancy IVF, but that's obviously a more controlled environment. It's a more controlled environment, yeah. yes. Right, okay. We have um, Tina on the line. Tina, you have a question. Hi, Tina. Yeah, Tina. Yeah, go ahead. Tina, yeah. Yes. When I went to Russia for my teaching, the, I was put to HIV test every three months okay. because I'm a foreigner. And uh, my question is, just now one of the doctors said that uh, HIV is spread more by sexual transmission. In this country, many other foreigners who come in are also involved with the GRO trade, and therefore sex is common. Are any precautionary measures taken like this in our country? Okay, thank you very much, Tina. Thank you. There you go. Interesting question. So, kind of like, you know, so do we have um, uh, foreigners who come into this country actually get scrutinized for HIV testing? Is, do you know uh, of such regulation? And what happens if they get positive? Do they just get denied entry? Um, so, 
Um, so with respect to HIV testing, I'm not entirely sure when it comes to the foreigners. It depends because foreigners are always divided into the low socioeconomic status for foreigners and the high socioeconomic status foreigners. Um, as far as I'm so aware, the expats and the immigrants. Yeah, so the expats and the immigrants. <laughs> it's a fine line, right? Yeah, the thing so, is, if you ask me in terms of HIV transmission, I, I don't think it really matters. Yeah, what, what which difference does it make? Part of that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we should be blaming the foreigners on HIV transmission in this country. There's a tendency to do that with everything that goes wrong. In, our, in, 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 in any country to blame the foreigners. And the typhoids. <laughs> <laughs> the typhoids, yes. The, the, the typhoids. Leprosy. But okay. um, I, do, I don't think there's obligatory HIV testing within this country. Is it required? I don't think so. I think TB is more of a problem. Yes. So if we were to look into that specifically, I think um, looking for TB may be a bigger issue than HIV, although the two are coupled very, very um, um, closely. Um, but the interesting, the epidemic in Russia is largely driven by injecting drug use. I would, and and then you got to question the human rights issue. You know, to test somebody against their, um, against their, it should really be a voluntary, voluntary. thing. That's yeah. why I mean, you know, I, I come back to the, um, the, the the compulsory testing within Muslim couples. You should never be tested against your um, against your, your own wishes. Right. It is a good idea. It should not be race based. You know, you shouldn't be directing it towards one particular race. It should be across races. Um, but then yet it's a good idea because it's testing. OK, but it shouldn't at the end of the day, it shouldn't be compulsory. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's a good idea. <laughs> really. I think it's board. a really okay. good idea. Um, we need to curb this problem. And there are times. I, I, you know, there are times well, OK, never mind. You, never should, mind. You, you should be happy. I'm not your prime minister. <laughs> well, well, the, or health minister. Is, you know, is there any model country that actually force that upon on the nation? And then perhaps see kind of a lot of people go underground or whatever. I, I have no idea. When it, is there any kind of model country that we can? look at how this is a force upon is a mandatory testing I don't think even in mm-hmm. Singapore they will force, yeah. force that point. See, <laughs> I knew your mind would go because my no. mind went to Singapore but first. They, but they kick everybody, they cook, kick all the Malaysians out <laughs> who get test, tested positive. They do. Because really? we end up seeing them. Are you serious? Them. Really? Yes, they're given two weeks to, to leave. leave the country. So, so there is some degree of mandatory testing if you uh, intend to work in, uh, in no, Singapore. No, that's discrimination. So in Singapore, uh, in order to continue your work permit, you require mandatory HIV testing. Oh. And if you're found to be positive, you're often, often, depending once again how much you're contributing to the economy of Singapore, but most of the... Most most occasions you are asked to leave. Okay. It's always about the so, balance sheet, isn't it? <laughs> so, all right, okay. But what about in Malaysia? Where do employers stand as far as it? So it's certainly less test HIV. It's certainly less discriminatory. I mean, we don't have some companies will, as part of their workplace policy, um, test for HIV a, along with other blood tests. They just throw HIV into it. I don't think it's meant to be discriminatory in any way. But a lot of companies don't have processes or policies in place in the event that an employee is a potential employee is diagnosed as being HIV. Malaysian AIDS Council is now working with a, a bunch of companies to try and help them introduce less discriminatory policies. I mean, we've had a couple of patients who've been diagnosed with positive and have not been allowed to work. 
but working with non-governmental organizations and, and those companies, we are making a bit, we're being, making more progress, largely through the work of Malaysian AIDS Council. And I think it's down to lack of education and concerns around risk of transmission okay. yet again. You mentioned we have about 104,000 cases in 2014. And that is... About threefolds underreported. Yes. What do you think is the real number? No, he said it's threefolds. Threefolds. I I believe it to be threefolds. Threefolds. Okay. That is a problem, isn't it? It is a problem. We have a a population of um, um, about nearly 30 million. Um, That gives us a prevalence of about 0.7%, I think. So it 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 is a problem. And... Um, although, interestingly, the data report a decrease in the number of cases each year since 2004, I believe, but still we do have a big problem on our hands. Okay. We also asked people a couple of more questions. Can people living with HIV lead a normal life with effective treatment? And this is what they had to say. Can people living with HIV lead a normal life with effective treatment? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, they can have a normal life. Probably. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I've, I've read that in the news. I see that in some celebrities as well. They do lead normal lives. Possible? I think so, yes. Yeah. Definitely, if they get the right treatment, they can live as normal as normal human being does. Yes. Um, yes. Maybe. La. Yes. With effective treatment, with proper precautions, yes. Yeah, I think yes. Yeah, they can live a normal life. There are some other diseases that is more dangerous than HIV. See, our lady once again. Always That's with right. her facts right. I, but I you want know, to the, meet her in person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she probably works for AIDS Council. <laughs> right. But they seem to be quite um, positive and, and aware mm. about treatment and how you can lead a normal life. Yeah, it was nearly overwhelmingly positive. So that that's fantastic that people have, that that's reached the general public, that people are aware of that. So can you elaborate how do people live a normal life? Okay. The main issues with HIV right now, I mean, it's not that it will shorten their lifespan. It will, it, it's, it's issues dealing with disclosure. So who do I tell and how is that person going to react to me when I tell them? So stigma, discrimination is still rife as it was in the, you know, 30 years ago. You know, it's always, I don't often use this as an example, but, you know, recently, as you know, Charlie Sheen yes. um, came out to the American world. It was a big, big thing in the American media. But you do follow those things, too. (laughs) So we're all human. Celebrities. Oh, yes, of course. But what he did for HIV was quite good. He came on the show, he came with his doctor, and his doctor was there to explain certain scientific facts. But it also gave name to HIV. It was very reminiscent of you know, the Rock Hudson disclosure mm-hmm. more than 30 years ago. So from that point of view, we, don't, we didn't seem to have moved forward. However, how we did move forward was that um, they, uh, the doctor explained things like um, the viral load being undetectable, therefore the risk of transmission is very negligible. He also mentioned that two of his partners were on pre-exposure prophylaxis. And, and this is very topical right now in the moment in the, the, the research world of the, right. the HIV world. You know, the so what does that mean? Elaborate a little bit about yeah, pre-exposure prophylaxis. Yeah. Yeah, go on. So pre-exposure prophylaxis is when a, HIV, when a known HIV uninfected person takes a pill to prevent... Uh, so this person is deemed to be at high risk of HIV infection, takes um, a pill to prevent HIV infection. Now, very similar to the lines of the combined oral contraceptive pill. So you're effectively preventing HIV infection. Currently, the thinking is that you have to take it on a daily basis, although they're looking to event-driven 
pre-exposure prophylaxis, i.e. Mm, on demand. <laughs> on demand, exactly, on demand. But, you know, let, let's, let's be realistic. Since the HIV epidemic, we continue to get new infections uh, daily, globally. If we've relied on, in terms of sexually transmitted HIV, if everybody was to have worn a condom consistently and correctly, we wouldn't have any HIV, new HIV infections today. But that's not the case. People are human, okay? And yes, condoms are a very good biomedical intervention tool to prevent HIV. But now we have something better, <laughs> and it's called pre-exposure prophylaxis. And the science has shown that it to be highly effective. As good as condoms. More, better. more effective than wow. condoms. So, you know, my, I would... I mean, I would like to see the, um, the, the HIV prevention pill scaled up in this country um, because it, it, it works. What's stopping us right now? It's policies uh, which are and, and perceptions on, on what, 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 how people feel that maybe it's not just a national thing but a global thing. The concern is that, um, that, that people who are at high risk of HIV infection will adopt risks will risk compensation behaviours, which in short means they will not end up using current existing prevention tools to prevent transmission of HIV. What, what about the cost and the side effects of such a treatment? Okay, so cost is about maybe um, uh, 160 to 200 ringgit a month uh, for um, uh, 30 tablets of um, um, pills. We, we use a generic version called uh, Tenvir-EM or Truvada, um, it is currently not practice, um, but we use the, this drug in for, for treating patients with established HIV infection. And there is no reason why not to use it for, for, for people who are at high risk of infect, HIV infection. We already use it in serodiscordant couples, um, planning conceptions. And really, I'd like to see it rolled out a bit more. Side effects? Side effects, very little. I mean, Truvada can be associated with kidney dysfunction or kidney impairment. You do need to test your, um, you do need to have regular HIV tests when you're on the mm. um, pre-exposure prophylaxis pill. So the advice is every three months because you need to ensure that you remain negative. Right. Um, and that if you do become positive, that, 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 that's caught very early. Um, and you need to test for hepatitis B as well because... Um, he, uh, Truvada has activity against hepatitis B. So in the long term for the country, we save money? Long term, yes, yes. certainly. It Rather is than antiretrovirals, um, the pre, uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis is going to be more effective? I mean, it's, it's one of the intervention tools used to combat number of new infections. I mean, it, it's not the answer. I think getting more people, the WHO guidelines have recently um, um, changed their guidelines. We used to treat only certain patients with HIV based on their strength of their immune system. Now the recommendation is to treat everybody irrespective of their CD4 count. I think a lot, of, a lot more resources would be justified if we put resources into trying to get as many people who need treatment on treatment. But pre-exposure prophylaxis is just another prevention tool which should be scaled up in the fight against the HIV epidemic. Coming back to Charlie Sheen obviously it's a very very good thing that he's gone public and then he's actually brought up all these kind of like a new strategies in order to reduce transmission and what, what's your view about you know the girlfriend suddenly that you know six days ago decided to sue him for not disclosing that he was positive and all sorts of things you know do we see something like that in Malaysia? 
Not at the moment. We haven't seen that um, decriminalization for failure of disclosure. Um, it hasn't moved to that level yet. Um, I don't think it's going to move towards that level because I think people are not going to come out to the media and disclose their HIV study, mm. uh, HIV status in a public way. I don't think a lot of people are ready for that. At well, the I, I, I certainly thought that was an interesting piece yeah. of a celebrity news. I mean, in terms of reporting, if we are about three times less. That's right. <laughs> I think if we just get everybody registered or on a, on a registry, that would be an achievement. Yeah, that's right. So, so talks, you know, exactly. leave alone going on national TV and disclose your status, yes. right? George. <laughs> we will come back and continue this discussion. It was World AIDS Day on the 1st of December, and we are sort of going through developments with Dr. Raja Iskandar Raja Azwa from University of Malaya and Dr. George Lee. Um, after the market update, um, I'm going to come back and find out a little bit more about um, how, how, what Malaysia can do better to combat this problem. Up next on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Flexibility, upgrades, reliability. Just some of the advantages cloud platforms like Windows Azure provides. Flexibility, pay only for the tools your company needs right now. As your needs grow, upgrade with ease and comfort. And reliability, multiple cloud data centers ensure safe means safe. Only with the power of the cloud. This message was brought to you by SRKK, Microsoft Cloud Partner of the Year, two years in a row. SRKK.com. Empower your business today. Previously on Enterprise. Instead of being directive as a leader, you've got to be influential. You've got to be able to inspire people. I look at the leaders that work for me. And when they go to the restaurants, do they go around and shake everybody's hands and look the staff in their eye and say, thank you for doing a great job? Because it's the pot washers and the dishwashers and the chefs that are working Friday and Saturday nights. When for the most part, so many execs are at home with their families. So it's, it's all about leadership, I think. For more insights and conversations, tune in to Enterprise weekdays from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Business-filled minds, BFM 89.9. Here's a quick market update from Bursa, Malaysia. The FBM KLCI is still down 0.1% at 1,647 points as a supply glut in oil markets and cooling growth in China pressured many asset markets ahead of a widely expected hike to U.S. interest rates uh, next week. So far, 1.3 billion shares have changed hands with 1.4 billion ringgit. The five most active counters are Red Senna, XOX Berhad, Instacom Group, Genetech Technology and Eden Incorporate. Eden Inc. The top gainers include LPE Corporation, Talam Transform, SMRT Holdings, Brahim Holdings and Grand Central Enterprise. Decliners are led by Hoa Gunting, MWE Holdings, Superlon Holdings, Medtronic Global and Maju Perak Holdings. We'll have more on our next news update at the top of the hour on BFM 89.9. The Bigger Picture on BFM 89.9. The Business Station. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. I'm Mira Sivasyodhi. It was World AIDS Day on the 1st of December and uh, we're doing a little bit of a delayed show. 11 days later, um, Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist, and joining us as well, Dr. Raja Iskandar, Raja Azwa, an associate professor in infectious diseases. He has a special interest in sexual health and HIV from the Department of Medicine, University of Malaya. Um, how can we do better, um, Dr. Iskandar? How do you think Malaysia... Um, in what areas? I mean, many countries are moving at a different pace. Um, I had the AIDS ambassador from the Netherlands who came on, and they're on another level altogether. They have legalized abortions. They have legalized the sex trade. And they've seen a fall in the transmission of HIV um, amongst um, the general population. So that's a, an entirely different place altogether. How do you think we can do much better? So I think... 
based on the changing epidemiology of the HIV transmission, um, and this has been a repetitive theme so far, is to change the mindset. So, But it always comes back to testing. I think we need to test more, test more, remove the barriers to get people to come forward to get testing. Um, a lot of resources need to be to need to be poured into testing as well. People generally find, like, anonymous testing. There are not many anonymous testing sites. That, that would bring people forward to get tested. They like the issues around confidentiality um, throughout the treatment and, and testing cascade. So certainly more resources and, and innovative ideas about how to get people tested, to get people retained in care and make sure that people take their treatment. Um, you know, the country's done actually very, very well. And as I said, to, in, with respect to the um, um, scaling up of the opioid substitution therapy and the injecting drug use transmission. Um, but certainly testing, treatment, I can't, I, sorry, I can't just emphasize that enough. And use, use pre-exposure prophylaxis, get as many people on treatment, get newer drugs, which are more tolerable. May, may I interject here? I mean, yeah. unistimulate always has been used as a model um, you know, uh, teams um, that is in emerging markets like Malaysia and ASEAN. I mean, obviously, we're doing something good. You know, so apart from the needle exchange program, you know, obviously, uh, you and, you know, uh, Prof Adiba had done great works. What else actually have you done to change the mindset in the country? It's very different because a lot of these responses are also led by Ministry of Health. Um, and that's that that can be good and that can sometimes be met with challenges as well. Um, I think when it comes to changing the mindset of people, you need data. And so, for example, where is HIV greatest? And, 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 and trying to adopt intervention strategies specific to that population. We are doing a lot of research within the at-risk groups, so be it, um, um, and the emerging risk groups, so HIV within um, the men who have sex with men population. We continue to do a lot of innovative research within the injecting drug use. Um, and I guess just build on that relationship with the Ministry of Health because that's a very crucial mm. um, uh, relationship, um, you know, to... To, 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 to harness. To, yeah, to harness and to allow a, a, a good, effective response. Do you think the Ministry of Health sort of represents the general voice of the population and hence the sort of stand that they take? Maybe not entirely. Um, so <laughs> that's a difficult question. <laughs> Maybe not entirely. But the room so improvement. You know, I mean, the Ministry of Health spent it spends about fifty, sixty million on the HIV budget a year, of which about seventy um, percent is on care and treatment. HIV treatment in this country is free. Which which says a lot for the country, you know, mm. because some other countries don't have that, and it costs a lot. And it, it, it the, it's come down in price, but I, I I believe in you know I mean praises and needs to be the, the Ministry of Health needs to be applauded for areas such as those when other countries around the region such as Singapore, you know, I may, may not be doing as well or other other countries around the region in terms of um, funding of 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 care and treatment, you know, and on the on the topic about um, sexual transmission of HIV, safe sex education also needs to be. I mean, that's that's another god. How many area, areas in the making in terms of where are we with that at the moment? Do you know? <laughs> yes, we just got some voices. What okay. is your opinion on the state of education on HIV/AIDS in Malaysia? 
same as the, as the state of education in sex, lack thereof. Next to nothing, people's perception is a bit radical and a bit wrong, I think. Well, I, I think in Asia in, in general, not just in Malaysia, um, education is still is just not active enough, or at least it's not uh, predetermined enough that I think can do a lot more to educate people in HIV. I mean, it's not a disease that can be spread by kissing or touching. I mean, they are normal people as long as you take proper precautions. I don't have any idea on that. <laughs> but I feel as a developed country, okay. they're supposed to know some idea. They have to be precaution on what they are doing. Okay. Um, I have a problem with um, parents who are unable to have this conversation about sexual and reproductive health with their own children. Um, that is a reflection of, you know, how where we stand as far as HIV education is concerned. I think if you can't talk to your own child, then what more do you expect from you know, but, but not only other that, people? I don't know. Those are just my thoughts. In this country, I was surprised when I came back, um, after having spent some time in the UK, that we have baby hatches, um, which are essentially um, areas where you can leave a newborn baby um, and then an alarm triggers off, alerts somebody that the baby has been left there. And these are often young couples who have had um, um, teenage pregnancies. And to me, it just signifies the extent of the problem of, of how safe sex education has not been addressed at all. Um, how contraception and, and, and certainly should be scaled up and access to that. I always find it interesting when I talk to my gynecology colleagues um, as well, that often part of their contraception, um, you know, when people come, when women come to counselling, the first thing is often asked is, are you married? And if you're not married, then... The, then the, the you're, res- you're not allowed contraception. The <laughs> response is then, why do you want to take contraception? <laughs> we need to move beyond that, you know. Um, people are having sex. People are having sex out of wedlock. People are having sex um, in their youth, and putting themselves at risk of unintended pregnancies, sexually transmitted infections, and HIV. So, you know, I think let, let's, let's move with the times. It's not too difficult. I think it's, it's easy, but we just need to work together logically and sensibly. Perfect message, actually, um, George. <laughs> Your message. Well, actually, you know, I, I read some of these um, infographics, uh, you know, trendy things that the World AIDS Days actually rethinking HIV campaigns. And then I really think the idea is very good. It's a rethinking HIV, rethinking positive, because... I think one of the problems in Malaysia is always being considered as a death sentence. And 30 years down the line, it hasn't changed. And listen to some of these. 85% of diagnosed with HIV in the UK are not infectious. 99.5% of children born from HIV positive uh, mothers do not have HIV. And also only 2% of the living with HIV contracted through injecting intravenous drugs. And all these are really powerful messages. And especially with these infographics and tweeted, I really think that is hopefully going to change the mindset of the young ones. Okay. So I, I think I thoroughly enjoyed today's you know, conversation. I really think that you know, uh, maybe a decade ago, perhaps discussing HIV uh, was a bit kind of like a difficult because there's a lot of barriers around it. I really think that today, you know, um, in order to discuss it in a more positive manner. I think the conversation then, should start at home, George. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Well, I, home, I, talk I, to your children. That's right. Oh, so today is the last day I'm going to, uh, last uh, show I'm going to do with you in 2015 yes, is that right that is correct George. that's right okay well I just want to say thank you for, for uh, inviting Dr Azani about six months ago pointing out that I was a poor G Georgie so that's like that so eventually Georgie it, oh, I was a poor 
Georgie George, all right, it says subsequently have to reduce my weight a little bit. So, you know, I'm trying. We're in progress. <laughs> really. Dr. Iskander has got a name for you as well. I know. Look at him. Look at him. He's like completely shocked. So, you know, I must say I'm very flattered to be on the air with Georgie Porgy. Um, Georgie Porgy is extremely um, out there and he's very um, has got a lot of interesting opinions on male health. And I pride myself in being a sexual health and HIV doctor, but he does it better than me, you know? And so that's a that's thorn like on my side. That's right. Okay. So we have to come to the show more often then. Yes, absolutely. That's right. Yeah, Thank let's you both. Do that Thank you both very much and Pleasure. Happy New Year yeah, to both happy of New you. Year. Thank you very much. Dr. George Lee, Consultant Urologist and Dr. Raja Iskandar Raja Azwa, Associate Professor in Infectious Diseases, Department of Medicine, Faculty of Medicine, University of Malaya, talking to us about AIDS development in Malaysia. On The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.